Um, it's my pleasure to preach this morning, and uh, we're going to preach from 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, but just before I do that, I just wanted to give some feedback. Helen and I were in Germany for the last week, uh, and the reason for that is that we work with a dear friend called Wayne Neuper, who's based in Dresden, which is the east of Germany, the old East Germany. Um, and he's a friend that we've known for many years. I think I've probably known Wayne for 30 years. He's been leading a church now in Dresden for the last 20. And what they've been doing is also trying to help people in Poland, in Bulgaria, in Russia, in Ukraine, various countries. And so he's put together a little team uh, of people to kind of help with church planters and leadership training. And Helen and I and Clive has also just been brought onto that team, which is wonderful to be able to help with what, we are, what Wayne is doing. And uh, once a year, we are go across for a conference. But more than that, we are trying to help the local churches. And so for the first day that we were there, we met just as a, a smaller team to kind of discuss the week. And then the next two days, we were with 40 uh, church leaders and their wives, just trying to encourage and help and refresh them. And then on the weekend, we did a conference, which was online, and it, we did it in Russian, in English, and in German. So it was translated into three languages while we were doing it. So we did it live. They've got a really fancy setup there. It's like a little television studio, and it was all very kind of, I felt like a little bit, I didn't ask to be on TV, but that's how it was anyway. But uh, it was great just to be able to preach and to share God's Word, and it's being translated into another six languages this week, so into Bulgarian and Czech and all, all the countries that we are working with. So that was an amazing, amazing privilege, and I really would encourage you, just as we uh, encourage you to come to Cambodia and India with us, why don't you think about coming to Europe sometime? They were teasing me. How dare they? They were teasing me, all the Germans. The Germans have got a great sense of humor. People think they don't, but they, they do have a great sense of humor. And the first thing they said to me, said, Ant, it's good, good to be back in Europe. And I said, yes, it's very good to be back in Europe. So they were just letting me know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was really, really cool. So having said all of that, um, please continue to pray for Wayne and for the team and for all that they're doing. And please think about coming with us during the course of next year on one of the things that we'll be doing. And we'll let you know. Uh, some of the guys came to a youth event. Andrew and another, a number of other people went with Helen on a prophetic kind of uh, week. So there's lots of opportunity if you'd like to just come and see what God is doing somewhere else. And it's always so encouraging to see what God is doing in other places of the world. All right. So, like I said, it's my privilege to preach this morning. This is part 10 of our series called Living Hope. And I know this weekend is celebrated as Halloween weekend, and that's why we did all of our party, uh, light parties for the kids. But do you know also that this Sunday is called Reformation Sunday? Yes. So for those of you that come from a Protestant tradition, you will realize that this is the day that Protestant churches celebrate the beginning of the Reformation. And that was uh, marked by a number of great men and uh, women that helped usher in a whole new season for the church, reminding us that we are saved by grace through faith plus nothing. All right? Nothing else saves you. Not belonging to a church institution, not belonging to a, to a church tradition, nothing saves you except that you put your faith 
into Jesus, and you're saved by grace through faith. And these great people like Martin Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and other people gave their lives for that to happen. And I, it's quite fascinating because um, uh, the east of Germany, where Dresden is, is the, is the, is the uh, principality of Saxony, right? And in the old days, Germany was not unified. It was made up of a whole lot of principalities. And the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church, was an incredibly strong political power that held all of these pieces together in the whole of Europe. And so the political power of, of, of the church, we don't really understand now uh, as 21st century people. But looking back, it just amazes me how brave these people were to take on the might of the political power of their day and to actually stand for some things that they saw in the Bible. Now, in, fascinatingly, one of Martin Luther's great adversaries was a guy called Johannes Tetzel. This is not a history lesson. It's just an introduction quickly because I find it so interesting. He, his name was Johannes Tetzel, and he lived just outside Dresden, where we were, in a little town called Perna. And you can still go and get a Tetzel burger for 10 euros uh, if you go to Perna, which is just outside um, Dresden. But this is the thing of uh, why he is the great adversary of Martin Luther, because the Roman Church appointed him as the inquisitor of Poland and the Saxon principality, the east of Germany. And he, he, he later, was, his title was the Grand Commissioner for Indulgences in the whole of Germany, that whole region. And he became known for this, that he granted indulgences on behalf of the church in exchange for money. Uh, and he claimed that you could find forgiveness for your sins and for punishment, not by putting your trust in Jesus, but by paying an indulgence money to the Roman church. And the moment you paid your money, <laughs> you were free. And so he had this phrase, as soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. That was what he went around saying. And so he went around collecting uh, money on behalf of the Roman church and saying, actually, you're forgiven if you just give us some money, all right? And that money was used, if you've ever been to Rome, you know St. Paul's Basilica? The money that built St. Paul's Basilica was funded by the poor and those that were coerced into giving money through indulgences. And this was the trigger for Martin Luther, who said, enough! We are saved by grace through faith alone. Nothing else. No indulgence, no church tradition, only the grace of God in our lives. That saves us. Sorry if I was a bit loud. And we live in that freedom right now, and we just take it for granted. Man, there were people that gave their lives, that were killed and burnt at the stake because they simply believed the Bible. And so it's a great privilege to preach to you this morning this amazing portion out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, which reminds us that Jesus is all that we need. He is the cornerstone. That's why I chose that this morning. Jesus is the cornerstone, the precious one, the most precious stone of all, the one upon whom everything else is built. His name is Jesus, and my friends, he's all you need in your life. And here we go. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, it says this, oh, I just love this, I'm going to be excited this morning, I can tell. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Yes. Amen. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were also destined for. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm just going to unpack this a little bit this morning in the next 20 minutes. But last week, uh, Clive preached wonderfully, and I listened to his message online, uh, the first three verses of chapter 2, and reminded us that Peter starts with the goodness of God. Isn't that amazing? Peter, always, he, like Paul, he starts with the goodness of God, and, and, and Clive reminded us that he said, you have tasted, you have tasted that God is good. You know that God is good to you, that He's faithful to you. And because God is faithful to you and He's good, throw off these things. And what were the things that uh, Clive reminded us? Malice, deceit, jealousy, hypocrisy. Throw those off. Why? Because you need to start living from the inside out what God has done on the inside, how He's transformed your heart and the grace that you've received. Start to live that out and demonstrate that in your behavior. Remember, this is the big theme of Peter that we've been looking at, how to live well in difficult times. Remember, this church was being, these believers were being persecuted, and it was getting worse for them. It wasn't getting better, and so Paul's main reason for writing, is, uh, Peter's main reason for writing is to encourage them. You can live well when things are difficult. My friends, my encouragement to you this morning is all of us in this room can learn to live well when things are difficult, and things are difficult right now, aren't they? We can learn to live well. We can learn to live by the power of the Spirit. We can learn to focus on the right things so that God brings grace to us and strengthens us from the inside so we can live well. Amen. And so really what is Paul is, uh, Peter is saying is love each other deeply from the heart and grow up and become mature in Christ. And Clive so beautifully painted that picture for us last week. And so it's part of Peter's general sense of appealing to the whole people that he's writing to for this thing of, come on guys, live a godly life. You can do it. And now, in these verses today, he reminds us of the why. He's now lifting our eyes and saying, okay, I've encouraged you in these practical ways. This is the reason why. This is the big picture. I've always found that when I lose sight of the big picture, I get discouraged. Here's the big picture for, peop- for, for, for Peter. He's saying, this is the reason. This is the big thing that I want you to focus on. And he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a temple, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's the big reason that you want to live well. That's the big reason that you want to throw off jealousy and and hypocrisy and malice and gossip and unkindness in your life. It's because God wants you to be a priest in a royal household. He's building a temple. He's building a, a whole new thing of believers from all over the world that put their faith in Jesus, every believer that's ever lived, and God wants you to be a priest in that temple, in that royal house, the church, that he is building. So throw off. Amen. And so that's the purpose. That's the big thing. And that's why Peter is saying, fight against ungodliness in your life. 
with all that, the strength you can muster by the power of the Spirit, throw it off because God wants you to be a holy people and He's building a temple. He's building a royal priesthood that you are part of and you're called to be part of. Every one of you that puts your faith in Jesus. Man, it's beautiful. And so Peter begins like a logical argument in verse 4, in how in, and he unpacks this argument, and he uses, he uses the picture of a temple. And he says this thing that we, God's people are holy building a temple. Remember, he's writing to Jewish people who, which, who would have understood the temple perfectly and how it worked. So he's writing into that context. And he starts by this, by saying, as you come to him, as you come to him, my first simple little point, and they're very simple this morning. If you put your faith in Jesus, it starts with Jesus, it is all about Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. That's it. This is the power of the message of the gospel. Jesus is all that you need in your life. He is the friend. He's, he's, the, he's the Savior who came and lived as a servant and transformed everything because He loves you so much. That's the message that we have. Jesus is all you need. And I love it. It says, as you come to Him, Peter focuses on Jesus right at the beginning. As you come to Him. So as we come to Him in faith, as we come to Him in worship, as we come to Him in prayer, as we come to Him in fellowship, in just being friends with each other, as we come to Him, the most important precious stone, the cornerstone, Jesus, He gives us grace for all that we need. My friends, I want to encourage you with all of my heart this morning, whatever you are facing, come to Him. I can do some stuff, we can help, but at the end, all of us individually have to come to Him. He is the most precious one. He can help, and He can build, and He can give you a hope and a future. Do you notice that Peter uses an Old Testament picture of a stone, and the, and the Jews would have been familiar with this. And he says, the, the stone that I'm talking about, Jesus, the most important one, he's a living stone. He is raised from the dead. He's no longer dead. He is living. So that's the first thing. Jesus is alive. Secondly, he is the stone upon which you can build the foundation of your whole life. My friends, in this time when we are all tempted to build on so many other things, self-image, materialism, intellectualism. We're called, the, our culture says, don't build on the foundation of Jesus. I mean, that's so archaic and old-fashioned. Build on these things in your life and it will go well with you. I want to say this over every single one of you. Build your life on the cornerstone that is Jesus. And what is the promise? We're going to look at it just now. It says, if you put your life on Jesus and you build on that foundation stone, you will not be put to shame. Man, what a promise. For my life, what confidence I can have, how, how relaxed can I live without anxiety, without a sense of, oh God, what's going to happen in the future? Why? Because God's promise to me in His Scripture right here is if I build my life on Jesus, His promise is I will not be put to shame. Gareth, you will not be put to shame. Lemmy, you will not be put to shame. Kevin, you will not be put to shame. I could go around, I don't know you, sir, but you will not be put to shame either. That's the promise of God. What a glorious promise. Put your confidence in the right place. So can I just unpack this a little bit? The other thing I wanted to say, remember, this is what Paul, you can see what I preach all the time, Paul, all right? This is Peter. Yeah, Peter, he's not saying the church is a building. Do you notice that? He's saying the church is like a building. It's a metaphor. 
And sometimes people come and say, you know, the church is, is not a building. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, of course that's true. The church has never been a building. The picture from the Scripture is the, per- the, 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 the church is like a building built of living stones. You and me, every one of us that puts our faith into Jesus. Simple little things. First of all, you must get it into your heart that there is a cornerstone. There is a cornerstone. And now, you know, we, we, we know Jesus as a carpenter. And recently, theologians have been saying that actually it's not a really good translation. It's more, more likely to be a master builder. Because in Jesus' day, carpenters did everything. They built houses. They put on roofs. They fixed gates. They made furniture. They were master craftsmen. And so this is the picture that um, Peter is using here, he's, and he's using this image that a master builder would have been so familiar with. He's saying that as you build a building, there's a keystone. There's a, the large stone in the corner of the building upon which everything else depends. There's a keystone. It's the most important, and Jesus is that stone. And the, the image is the Jewish leaders were the builders, but they rejected what was, should have been the foundation of the new temple that God was building, His church. In other words... Jesus is the key to God's entire plan of salvation. You cannot be saved without Jesus. You can't work yourself into the kingdom. You can't buy yourself into the kingdom. You can't try hard to get into the kingdom. You can't say, I'm going to live a completely moral life and never sin. Even that's not going to get you into the kingdom. The only thing that gets you into the kingdom is putting your trust, your faith, into the Lamb, Jesus. That's the only thing that saves you. And the world says there's so many other things that you can can save you. The Scripture says there's only one who can save. His name is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He is the precious, greatest stone in the entire building. And he says in verse 5, you are being built into a spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. In other words, by the Spirit, all of us that live by faith must cooperate with God and must cooperate with the Holy Spirit to acknowledge the gifts that we have, and how God can place us in the right place in the church to be a blessing to others. That's the key, isn't it? The key to being to ministry is to really know yourself. God has made you to be the gifts that you have, and to be happy to be placed by God into the building, the church of God, and not be jealous because you don't have another ministry. I've been leading church for over 30 years now. It's such a problem in churches of a period of time. Oh, why am I not given liberty in that area of the church? You know, I'm also gifted. I'm also as gifted as Mr. X or Mrs. Y. Why don't you recognize me? It's a problem. And it brings release for us when we are happy to say, God, you use me wherever you want me. These are the gifts I have. I give them to you, and I trust that you in due time, will raise me up. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We don't have to stress. We don't have to strive. Jesus will place us in exactly the right place as a living stone into the building that He is building by the power of His Spirit. This is the confidence that we have. Second, uh, where am I? Yes. (laughs) So there's the cornerstone. And then the second thing to recognize, simple thing, again, you are a living stone. I am a living stone. And we are all built onto the cornerstone who is Jesus. Um, and that's the second point. Third, we all as priests have a job to do in the temple. Every Christian is both a living stone 
and a priest. And in the second half of verse 5, the picture that Peter's painting paints, uh, ch changes a little bit. And he says, uh, it shows us that we are a company of priests offering sacrifices within this new temple. It says they are to build into a spiritual, into, are being built into a spiritual house, a temple, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. So he has the, he has the key. If it's not about Old Te Testament sacrifice, if it's about New Testament sacrifice, what are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer up in the new temple, the church, that it's pleasing and acceptable to God? Well, immediately for me, I go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in the light of God's mercy, in the light of His kindness in your life, in His light of goodness in your life, offer up yourself a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. So the place that we start is that as part of being a living sacrifice, we offer up praise, we offer up worship, we offer up generous friendship, we offer up service in the church, we offer up giving, we offer up all these things within the context of my whole life is a spiritual sacrifice offered up to you, Lord. Amen. You're all looking at me like, okay, this is how we live. The whole of our lives is a spiritual sacrifice lived out in the new temple. And we offer up all those things freely from our hearts, generously from our hearts, without compulsion, because He is worthy and He is building us to be a holy people, a royal priesthood. And so, to conclude, Peter uses three Old Testament scriptures to reinforce his point. And he chooses these three. The first one is seen in verse, uh, they're all in, in verse 6 to 9. The first one is from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And it confirms that Jesus is the precious cornerstone. And it says this in Isaiah. And that's what he quotes. I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Just reaffirming. He's kind of, after he's argued this point, he's just laying in now the scriptural base and saying, yep, that's what it says in Isaiah, the precious cornerstone. He is Jesus. And if you put your trust in him, you will never be put to shame. My friends, if that's all you remember this morning, remember that. As I build my life on Jesus, I will never be put to shame. Never. And every time you're feeling under stress, every time you're feeling like you're panicking a little bit about your future, what's going to happen to my kids? Am I going to get married? Am I going to have a career? What's going to happen to with all the stuff in the world with health and, and all the stuff and climate change and all the stuff that's so... What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? God's promise to you. By the power of the Spirit, as you build your life on the cornerstone of Jesus, you can relax because you will never be put to shame. What a promise. We all should say, Amen! We can get a bit Pentecostal this morning, right? The second reference is from Psalm 117, verse 22. And it's a little bit, verse 7 is a little bit hard to translate because people put the first half differently. In the NIV, it says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. This stone is precious. Other translations say, this precious treasure then belongs to you who believe. This precious treasure who is Jesus belongs to you who believe. So it's a little bit difficult to translate it accurately, but then it goes on to say, and it says, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become 
the cornerstone. Here's the point, and I don't want us to get distracted this morning. Here's the big point. Here's the point. Jesus is the key to your life. He is the key to whether you rise. He is the key to whether you fall. Build your life on Jesus. That's the key. That's the big thing that Peter is saying. He is, for some that are being saved, he is pricelessly valuable. He is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure in the field. Yeah, that's the scripture uses all those. He's the most precious one. You could never give enough because he is so precious. For some who know Jesus, he is that to them. For others, Peter is saying, rejected. They reject him. Worthless to them. And so we have this kind of tension and yet, Peter says, this one who's loved by some so passionately and rejected by others as useless on that one, the precious cornerstone, Jesus, he's built his entire church. He is the foundation upon which everything is built. And lastly, the third reference is from Isaiah eight fourteen, and it shows that Jesus is the key to our destiny, our future. Jesus is the key. He's the key to our past, he's the key to our present, and he's the key to our future. And here it is, a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which was also what they were destined for. And I really want to just clarify this, because whenever you speak about punishment, and whenever you speak about sin being held accountable for, people kind of get really nervous. In our culture, they get really nervous. And I think Peter helps us to understand exactly what God is wanting us to understand. And, and, and I'm going to hope to, to un unpack it. The, Peter, Peter is saying this. Those that fall and stumble, they do so because they disobey God's word. And the falling and the stumbling is the punishment in this life. Do you get it? That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you put your trust into Jesus, if you live by the Spirit, if you put your faith into His Word, His promise to, is to, to you is that you will never be put to shame. However, if you choose to live your life apart from God, without any uh, confidence in His Word, without any ear listening to the voice of the Spirit, and you choose to do your own thing, this is what you will see in your life. This is the punishment that you will see in this life. You will stumble, and you will fall, and you will be discouraged, and you will be full of anxiety, and you, that will be the consequence if you disobey God's Word. That's what Peter is saying. We don't like that. But I don't want to end there, because this is the great, great message of the gospel when you stumble, when you fall, when you take your eyes off Jesus, when you recognize, God, I can't do my own thing anymore because all it's producing in me is a, a, a death and I can't, I can't live with that anymore. The promise of the scripture is when you simply come to Jesus and put your confidence in him, in his grace and his kindness in your life, he is faithful to forgive you and he picks you up and he puts you on a solid rock and he puts your feet on a firm foundation and by grace he says, come my son, he takes your hand, come my daughter, he takes your hand and he says, let's walk together and you walk into your future with confidence in a relaxed way because he is faithful to his word. That's the power of the message. You don't have to do it all yourself. You don't have to think that you have to be the solution to every world problem. No, you don't have to. What you have to do, I'm sorry if I've been loud. 
what you have to do is to fix your eyes on Him. Him. Lift up your eyes to Him, the chief cornerstone. He is the one who is completely faithful. He is the one who will pick you up. He is the one who will give you a firm foundation for your life, and you will not have to suffer in those things in your life as you put your confidence and your trust in Him, the chief precious cornerstone by the power of the Spirit. You will not be put to shame, and He will lead you into the future that He has for you because He's kind and good and generous in every way. That's the message of the gospel. That's what Peter's trying to get us to understand. So I want to appeal to you, if you've never put your faith into Jesus, if you've never said to Jesus, Lord, I need you. My life is desperately needing your hand and your goodness in it. I want you, I want you to respond this morning. And the Scripture says it's very simple. The Scripture says, as you believe in your heart that Jesus is who He says He is, and you confess with your mouth, He is faithful to forgive you, and you are born again. In Peter's language, he doesn't want you to be put to shame. He wants to put your feet on a solid rock, which is the cornerstone, Jesus that's what he wants to do for you. And all it is, is you saying, Jesus, I need you. Please, come and make your home in my heart and live within me by the power of your Spirit. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for the simplicity of your word, the power of your word, that it brings life. And so, Lord, we just want to rejoice and say thank you that you are great, you are good, you are kind in every way. Thank you for the truth of this word this morning, that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. I pray for every single one of us that we would learn to more and more build our lives around onto the chief cornerstone, Jesus, and that together this church would increasingly show that it is a royal priesthood of living stones giving itself to live out what you've already done on the inside of us. Help us to be generous in every way. Help us to be those that exude kindness and grace because that's what you've done within us. You've been so kind to us. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would give them courage simply to ask that you would come and make residence in their hearts, live within them, Empower them. Give them a hope in the future as they simply ask you now. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Everyone says, Amen. Can we sing? Because that's what Christians do. You know, when you're very happy about something, you sing. My wife goes around the house singing. Don't you, my darling? Especially when she's very happy, she sings. And that should be the reflection of our hearts. That's what Christians do. We sing because we have something to sing about. We've got a great king who loves us.